Welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am your moderator, and with me this week is acting full presidente and assumedly acting esposo de la pastora, Scott Reed. <laughs> I don't know about that last part. Congratulations to Leah on becoming acting <laughs> pastora. Yeah, cool. That's good for her. Yeah, that's good for her. She's been waiting for that for a while. And, of course, Associate Pastor Bill Calvin. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Uh, our, our podcast president, Dan Marcello, of course, not here today. Um, he is, uh, I don't know, what should we say? He's up in Minnesota, isn't he? Well, that's true. He doesn't normally <laughs> like when we tell people that he's out of town. So I was going to say, like, he's in the trial of the century right now. <laughs> well, the bad news is he's up for the outro. So that'll give us a prize for our end of the, mm-hmm. end of the episode game is whoever wins it that. It better not be Carmen Sandiego. Just me versus Bill. That's not even, it's not fair. <laughs> it's an exhibition match. Uh, Scott, will you pray for us? I will. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that we can gather together on and just enjoy each other's company and talk about you and, and things pertaining to who you are and to the Christian life. Lord, we just thank you for for the privilege of, of uh, being on the podcast, and we pray, Lord, that it would bless all who hear it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Scott, you said you've been trying to find would-you-rathers, three-way would-you-rathers. Yeah, I was trying to decide if we would keep doing the Toastmasters without Dan here, and I decided that we will. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so we're just basically, here's how I'm going to keep it fair. All right. I'm just going to start with the first question. Uh, Max, you'll be the first decider. Judge. Great. And then we'll just go clockwise. So Bill will get the first option, and I'll get the second option, and then we'll rotate. Okay. Um, and then Bill will be the judge. I'll get the first option. You'll get the second option, and then everything. And that'll keep it all kind of impartial. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So, Max, you are the judge. Yes. And there's one of these that I didn't like. Okay, it's the green one. Okay. So, Bill, you are... Our- <laughs> I'm sorry. You're arguing for waking up at 3 a.m. with your own anxiety attack. And I'm arguing <laughs> for getting woken up by someone who blames you for theirs. Ooh. All right. Whoa. All right. Uh, I think it's only fair if we go in that order. So I think we need to hear your own anxiety attack first. <laughs> well, of course you want to be owning your own anxiety attack. <laughs> I, I, I really am at a loss for words because I don't know what an anxiety attack is from personal experience. Mm. So mm. to be awakened at 3 a.m. with one, well, there's a first time for everything, so bring it on. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> we, Scott, I, I want to come back to that in a minute, Scott. I, too, have not been woken up by an anxiety attack, but I have been woken up by a roommate that just yells profanities in the middle of the night. It's not me. It's not you. It it's not me. Leah. Thank you. It was a different roommate from college. Good to clarify. <laughs> you were also there, though. I was there. Um, mm. And I got to say, it's startling to get woken up by someone else having distress. Yeah. But I think it's much easier to recover from the distress or from someone else's distress and and get back to your to your sleep than if it's your own distress when mm. your heart's racing and, yeah. and you got to deal with your own anxiety for a while. Plus, they blame you for their anxiety attack. And... I'm just going to assume, Max, you're a good person. You probably didn't cause their anxiety attack. They're just putting that on you. You don't need to take that. So you just go back to sleep. Oh. You let you let them deal with their Thank anxiety. <laughs> I'm going to, every time a client comes to me upset about something, I'm going to re- play back that five seconds. <laughs> Max, you're a good person. This isn't your fault. <laughs> um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with, um, 
the optimistic choice, which I think is going with Scott's. Uh, my, my reasoning being that, uh, I think for most of my life, I would have believed the person I would have felt responsible when they told Mm. me I was responsible for their anxiety attack, but I don't want to be that person anymore. And God is making me less that person every day. (laughs) So I believe that it's quite possible that I can get to the point where I fully believe what Scott said, that it's not my fault. (laughs) Even if they blame me, I don't have to believe them nice unless it actually is my fault in which case i i want to so i think i'm playing this game wrong i'm supposed to address this as you were the one So you're convincing me yes that you're yeah you're convincing me (laughs) to wake up owning my own anxiety attack okay yes yeah i I wasn't doing that all right well admittedly you've still won a couple (laughs) rounds you still won a couple weeks true (laughs) doing it to yourself i wanted to follow up on your statement that you've never you know had like an anxiety attack or something like that i wanted to ask you you know you in my mind as as i I think i've made this joke on the show a couple times before you are like the weather in that you pay no attention to criticism (laughs) 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 and and i think i've asked you this before but i i I think it bears repeating, um, if for no other reason than I forget, how long has it has it been like that? And obviously, like you do pay attention to criticism when it's real um, and when it is meaningful and convicting. Okay. Um, but all of the fluff that comes along with relationships of people trying to pin things on you and, and you know, you don't tend to fear rejection in, in my uh, mm. perspective. You're not... You know, when I bring up, when we used to meet every week to talk about the young adults group, mm-hmm. I would talk about a problem or something I was stressed about. And you would talk about sort of an analogy in your own history. And then you'd say, but I realize, you know, it doesn't matter if they're, you know, if, if they hate me, like that's, that's more of a problem within them than it is within me. How, how long has it been like that? Probably since stepping onto the car lot. Okay. I think the car lot has everything to do with it hmm. because you are rejected the moment a customer shows up on a car lot. They don't trust you. They don't like you, hmm. but they do need a car. Hmm. So hmm. you cannot sell a car to everybody. There's people just aren't going to buy every single time. And you have to make peace with it's okay. Don't take it personally. Even if they're cursing at you, don't take it personally. What they're really upset with is the whole system and mm. they're upset about they're not getting this car for 5,000 under invoice. They, you, you can't take it personally or you lose your mind. Mm. Well, how does that transfer over a little bit into, you know, your, your job now, right. And, and being mm. in ministry of like, you know, we love people and it's our, our literal purpose <laughs> besides uh, knowing God and enjoying him forever is to go and make disciples of all the nations. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do you balance that uh, not wanting to, you know? Okay, that's a good question. So let me use this example. I call or text. Now I start with texting before calling. But I do both. Call and text people who are guests, thank them for coming. So sometimes it becomes real clear, hey, uh we're not coming back. We didn't like it. Yeah. All right. It's, it's not like they're rejecting me as a person. They're just Mm. saying we're not coming back. We didn't care for it. So there's that side where you just to say, yeah, don't take it personally. But, but there is the balance of, I really do want them to come. I want them to come back. I want them to come to salvation. 
But if you just internalize all that and you feel personally rejected every time people will say no to you, you become a basket case. Hmm. Uh, and in the ministry, you would be a basket case too, because you, you always are recruiting people to help you with things too. And you're going to get plenty of no's. It doesn't mean they don't like you. It doesn't mean they don't like God. It just means they, they don't want to do it hmm. or they can't do it. That's, that's what it oftentimes is. They just can't do it. Yeah. They don't have the time. Thank you. I, that's just so interesting to me because I feel like, especially as I mentioned, like trying to be less like this. But if somebody said like, oh, like we didn't like it, we're not coming back. My immediate thought would be like, okay, what could I have done, right? Or what do I need to do today to make sure that no one ever has this opinion again, mm. this experience again, right? And that's how you get into that anxiety trap of like, okay, yeah. every moment that I'm not trying to make this so that no one ever walks into this church and then walks out and doesn't come back. Again, right? Making sure that doesn't happen again. Every moment I'm not working on that problem, I'm wasting time. Like, you mm -hmm. know, and, and you've talked about boundaries before and stuff like that, but I really admire your your ability to stay focused on um, not yourself. <laughs> to, to not let it become about Bill Calvin and what right. Bill Calvin can do to, um, to change things, but the, it's about the Holy Spirit, and it always is. It... It is just kind of comical how how much rejection you get mm. in life, mm. and I, I think this also helps me. Do you think the people are talking behind your back? They're probably wrong. Mm. They're probably not even thinking about you at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's really the way I've lived my life. Yeah, they're not they're not thinking about you anyway. Don't don't worry about it. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, on to the next this question. has been the Bloomingdale Church. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> that segues very nicely into this next question. Bill, you're the judge. You're the talk behind I'm it. arguing for running out of toilet paper in a public restroom. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I can see how that really connects. Yeah. Yeah. That's very similar. And Max, you're arguing for running out of toilet paper while at a date's apartment. Ooh, all right. I'm at a date's apartment. Yeah, I'm going to okay. put this in the category of like first date. I know well, it doesn't yeah. say that, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. Mm. I have to assume I this is someone that someone you're stops like, being a date when you're in a relationship. Yeah, exactly. You don't say that's my date. Exactly. I'm glad we're on the same page. Unless here. it's to a Who do you want to hear from first, Bill? Well, let's Public hear from wrestling? you, Scott. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we live in an increasingly insular and individualistic society. I think this is all the more true with COVID over the last year. You know, we're all wearing masks. Stop laughing, Max. I, I just can't take it. You're, you're so prepared. Like, you spent the whole Bill's entire talk about anxiety. You were, like, writing out your speech. I was trying not to think about it. <laughs> but I couldn't help it. Um, anyway, and this is even more true, I think, with, with COVID over the last 14 months or whatever it's been. You know, everyone's wearing masks everyone's been cooped up inside i think we're all a little bit more afraid of other people than we ever were and we were pretty afraid of other people to begin mm -hmm. with because of social media and and all of that stuff mm -hmm. that has been just growing over the last decade or two so what better opportunity for you to break down those walls of social isolation reach out verbally of course to the person in the stall next <laughs> to you and say hey can i have some toilet paper <laughs> i like that hand just under, yeah. under the stall wall <laughs> just grasping you get toilet paper and you get a new friend mm. it's a win win mm. I think three out of the last five weeks, there's been some sort of toilet paper based question. I mean, there's a lot of material there. 
Apparently not in your not style. In the <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I think it was Bill Calvin who famously said, God abides in the truth. And I think ultimately, if you're on a date, you're hoping, hopefully, you're hoping that that, that date turns into a relationship. And, and if this date is going well, mm. you want to know, I can be honest with this person. I want to share in truth with this person. I don't want to hide anything. I don't want to be afraid that I'm keeping secrets from this person. And so what do you do? You say, I am out of toilet paper, and this is the make or break moment, right? We cut out two to seven months of relationship, and we get right <laughs> to the heart of, can I tell you I'm out of toilet paper or can I not? And if, and if your date freaks out and says, how could you run out of toilet paper in my apartment? It's their fault. (laughs) How could you not be more prepared? So this is the, this is the trial by fire that honestly, I think if, if, you know, if it doesn't happen, maybe try and make it happen. Right. It's a nice little (laughs) shortcut. That, that you should work into any budding relationship. Toilet paper out the window. Listeners, if you've just started a relationship, <laughs> tell them you're out of toilet paper when you're at their apartment and see what they do. And see what happens when they walk in and there's a full roll of toilet paper right there. <laughs> well, they're not going to walk in. You're still going to the bathroom. Maybe they are. There's well, a lot you can learn bad. from this interaction. You get out of there right now. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's me. <laughs> that's, that's the Max Terman promise. <laughs> relationship advice with Max Terman. <laughs> All right. Well, I selected Scott. As what? It's nice. You've got to be kidding me. Two for two. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Why? Bill loves making because new I, friends. Honestly, I found that whole argument, both both of them, so confusing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, wait, why did you choose Scott? If you, if just, I guess I was just less confused. <laughs> And I also like the image of the hand under That was my joke. Well, you thought it because I... Well, it brought back good memories. When I was in college, our school mascot was... Was was a hand reaching under the stall. Was a man who was a Mongol. Okay. Oh. And I don't mean Mongolia from Chinatown. I mean... You mean... he, He was Mongoloid. What? Yes. What does that mean? Oh. What's Mongol? Those are the people that have a little bit larger heads and their eyes. Um, is this like are a little di- bit wider? Like a disease, or is this like it's, a? It's a birth defect. Okay. It, it, it it's also was... part of mental retardation. And that was the mascot. Well, he, the school kind of adopted this man. <laughs> okay. It's it's a beautiful story, really. A, oh, this is a person. Yes, his this name is a real. Per- his name okay. is John Hutchison. Okay. And he was a paper boy. And his mother and father were school teachers. When he was in his probably 30s, they brought him to Malone College and would drop him off in the morning. And he would eat lunch and supper at the school. And he'd hang out at the library and Mm. carry books from tables for the librarians. And um, he couldn't speak. Oh. So the students said, we're taking these classes uh, in uh, speech therapy. Let's work with him. And so the students taught him how to talk, even though he was a full adult. Well, the parents just thrilled. It just opened up his whole life. So he would come to basketball games, and he'd be shooting foul shots at halftime. That's why I say he was a mascot. 
Every, everybody see. in the whole school knew him. In fact, he was probably better known than the mayor of Canton, Ohio. I mean, he <laughs> he had a scholarship name for him. He had a golf tournament name for him. This guy was a big deal for our school. Huh. And he was he was very childlike because his brain was in arrested development in some ways. And so he would greet everybody with, hi, pal. Uh. <laughs> like, hi, hi, Hutch. So I remember one time I'm sitting on a stall in the bathroom and, and Hutch is talking to me on the next stall. And then he, I don't know why he does this, but then he reaches in underneath and he's waving his hand around. <laughs> Hutch, you know, he kind of taps me on the leg. Hutch, get away from me, you nut. <laughs> so... Uh, everybody liked him you couldn't help but like the guy (laughs) including you yeah oh yeah (laughs) even if not well i have a real heart for mentally retarded people because my sister sister, is this way so that's what i was thinking i was hutch's little chubby hand coming in (laughs) under there Yeah. Talking to me while we're Man. both on the Made a friend. potty. Man. Yeah, I think every single one of these questions we're gonna stop and talk to Bill about. <laughs> well, I have a story. I'm sorry, I've got so many stories. I love it. I love your story. My brother listens to the show, and he's like, you know, when they talk about the Bible, it's great. But the reason I listen is for Bill's stories. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's, maybe one day it'll just be you in a room with a microphone. We'll give you a bag of Twizzlers and come pick you up in an hour. Him <laughs> raising it. He likes Speak, it. Speaking of which, I'm out of town in two weeks, so it's, it's going to just be you in a room with a bag of Twizzlers. <laughs> so I have a story about your argument about the, the yeah. running out of toilet paper. At a date's house. At a date's apartment. <laughs> They're not. If they well had off. a house, maybe they'd have <laughs> enough have more than one bathroom. Yeah, well. um, so there was this couple. Mm, I just kind of spoiled the ending. There were these people that I knew. Anyway, they're they're married now. But um, they, on their first date, I can't remember exactly how this happened. I don't know if it was food poisoning or just sick or what. Yeah. But she soiled herself. Oh my word! Oh, oh. He gave her sweatpants to wear. She soiled those. Oh my word! <laughs> oh, poor girl, that's and then, horrifying. And now they're married with like five kids. I was gonna say, and you and Leah still got married after and that. Me and Leah still got married after that. Yeah, she may have also been in his bed because she was just like really sick, and they were like at his parents' house or whatever. And um, whoa, yeah. So she just had a lot of accidents, <laughs> including in his pants. I and can't in believe. His, I think in his bed. She and then, lived through that. Yeah, that's just the most. And then they got married. I mean, they've been married for probably like. I don't know, 15, 20 years. I don't know exactly, Man. but a while. Wow. Oh, great. So, well, yeah. but his kindness came through. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got a guy to stick with you through that. You know, he's a good guy. Yeah, lock him up. It's actually a relative of mine. Sure. Is it? Well, we can't say. We can't possibly say. No. Um, All right. Uh, I'm the judge now for our final question. Great. Max, you're arguing for getting free gas for my car for the next five years. And Bill, you're arguing (laughs) why I should, instead of getting free gas for the next five years, be exempt from speeding tickets for life. Now, this is you're arguing why Scott should be exempt exempt from speeding tickets for life. As opposed to getting free gas for the next five years. Oh, it's just for the next five years? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, Max, I would like to hear from you first. I would prefer if I didn't go first, but I will. <clears throat> I guess the easiest way to put it is, um, you know, right now, uh, gas prices are spiking, right? I'm not an economist. Mm. I tried to be. Uh, but now I run a podcast for a church. 
Anyway, big step up. (laughs) (laughs) That's a joke. I never tried to be an economist. But the point is, uh, gas prices are spiking right now. You and Leah, you guys love road trips, right? Yeah. And and the two most important things to remember about a road trip is you got to stop for gas. And you never know how much gas is going to cost, especially with tax and things like that. It could be more. It could be less wherever you're going. It's unpredictable. But secondly, that it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And if you're speeding everywhere you go, how are you going to enjoy that landscape? If you're blazing through Kentucky. Not a lot of landscape around here. If you're blazing through Kentucky at 180 miles an hour in your Nissan Juke. <laughs> How are you going to appreciate God's creation? All right, Bill. I think you should have the no speeding tickets for life over the gasoline because, let's face it, gas-powered cars are going to be dinosaurs. You're going to be in an electric car, but they're still going to be passing out speeding tickets. So I, I like the no speeding tickets. Hmm. That's really good. That is really good. If it was if it was gas for life, right? Ironically, even though that's better, yeah. Like Bill's argument would probably have won for sure. Sure, because gas isn't going to be for life. But for the next five years, right? I'll probably still be using a gas car at least for most of that time. Yeah, if not for all of it. Um, but also we don't drive a lot, so we don't spend a lot of money on gas right now. (laughs) So I'm going to go with speeding tickets because I've been trained by the Illinois road system to drive 80 in a 60 all true. the time, and true. I can't take that to other states <laughs> with impunity. So my only other this way thought, I, can, I can continue my driving habits yeah, even when I go elsewhere. I think that's good. My, my only other thought was like maybe you, you know, you're supplying gas to the whole church. You you get it. Oh my god. And then people are lining up and you're siphoning it out of your gas own pantry. <laughs> the gas <laughs> pantry. The wow, church, that would be popular. Pantry. The gas pantry. Um <laughs> Bill, will you give me a number between one and a thousand and one? Seven hundred and forty one. Nice. That's a good good high number. Uh, this, of course, from 1001 Things You Always Wanted to Know About the Bible But Never Thought to Ask by J. Stephen Lang, author of the complete book of Bible trivia with over 600,000 copies sold. Uh, 741 comes to us from the section Literature, Theater, and Movies. <clears throat> Dante, 1265 oh. to 1321. Yeah. The Divine Comedy is one of the world's masterpieces. In it, the great Italian poet journeys through hell, purgatory, and finally heaven. Along the way, he encounters people from the Bible, history, and even mythology who speak about their lives on earth and the punishment they endure for their sins. Dante drew heavily from the Bible and its view of human sin. Uh, I have not read Dante's Inferno. I'm not even remotely familiar with it. I assume you've read it, Bill. Oh, yeah. It's part of the great book series. I love it. It's, and the part I love the best is something I don't even believe in, Purgatorio. It's, okay. The Divine Comedy has three parts, um, Paradiso, Purgatorio, Helio. <laughs> is it actually Helio? <laughs> no. But, but you know they're getting at hell. Yeah. But Purgatory was just such a fascinating trip. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't want to get into it too much, but it... That is just an awesome, awesome hmm. writing, the Divine Comedy. Sure. Can you get in a little bit of like what makes Purgatory so interesting? Well, Purgatory lasts for as long as you're in it because you're waiting for the prayers of the people to spring you out of Purgatory, which okay. is something I don't believe in at all. But right. 
So the the beautiful imagery though of what you're it's not beautiful, it's actually ugly imagery of what you're in with purgatory mm. and you're going down, 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 you're coming up, 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 and Virgil is your guide. Okay. Virgil of the Virgil's Aeneid oh, fame. Yeah. He is the one who's guiding your boat through purgatory. I, I just remember being really impressed with it. Mm. Um, it was, I think he could just use his imagination completely with that because there's there, there's no such thing as purgatory. Right. Whereas hell, we know something about hell, mm. and heaven, we know something about heaven. So he had some nothing. restraints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just wild imagination with Purgatorio. That makes sense. I mean, admittedly, uh, the Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis takes some mm. really interesting directions with both heaven and hell. Yeah. Right. Um, and manages to do that. And I'd highly recommend reading the Great Divorce, especially the first half, is really, really good. Especially if you can read it with Laura Schmidt explaining it to you. <laughs> <laughs> because so she, 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 well, she taught a class. Um, oh, that's right. To young professionals using that book. <laughs> Got to lead with that. And, and without uh, without Laura, I would not have had any idea what was going on. And then, then it was just like she unlocked the door, and I was like, oh, oh, this is making sense now. Sure. Well, shoot. I hope yeah. I understand what happens in the great. I did not. I just I read it, and I I thought I was okay. You probably were, but I, I wasn't. I really wasn't. <laughs> I hope I am. Uh, Scott, have you read the Divine Comedy? Uh, I have not. Okay, but I have seen Dante's House. Ooh, oh, cool! In Florence, I think. And yeah, and it has a plaque that says Dante Alighieri on it, <laughs> and I think the date he lived, and that's it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know what makes uh, the Divine Comedy just a breakthrough book? What? It was the first time an intellectual wrote in a language other than Latin. So he really? wrote this in Italian, and it just became a bestseller. Now, this is before the printing press. So it becomes a Whoa. bestseller because people could read Italian, and they liked it. Hmm. it. It just made it feasible for the common man to read something awesome. Sure. Whereas up to that point, and, and even after that time, if you were really going to be taken seriously, you had to write in Latin. Right. To, to write in German or French yeah, right. or something like that, you're just a boob. You know, you, sure. why, why should we even read this? You, you're not educated. Yeah. Well, you mentioned last week you brought up um, that greed was one of the seven, was, was one of the deadly sins. Mm -hmm. Now, the seven deadly sins aren't explicitly referenced in the Bible, right? That's, uh, they're all mentioned, but it's not like a list, like, like the, the Ten here Commandments. Are the seven, like deadly sins, right? right? So where does that come from? Catholic Church, I think. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. Sure. Um, and they are deadly. I mean, nobody's saying, "Oh, come on, they're not that bad." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. So, what is the value to you of like the seven deadly sins as a, as an idea, right. As a Protestant, as a, as a CMA mm. believer, right. What, what is the value of having them sort of demarked as the seven deadly sins to you? I think really just to highlight that sin is so, so much like cancer. It'll just ruin you. Yeah. And yeah. you've got to really pay attention. So it's, and greed would be one that people would just kind of push off. It's like, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Yeah. Lust. Well, it's not. It's not as bad as me acting out. Okay. Anger. Well, it's not as bad as me 
punching people out. Well, well, wait a minute. These are deadly sins. They're not just mm. kind of okay sins. Uh, yeah. There's no such thing as kind of okay sins. Uh, um. Well, uh, before we get into our next segment, it's time for our first sponsor of the day, brought to you once again by the Youth On Mission Trip. Our God is inclusive. He is missional, and he is radically for people. Uh, it just reminds me of Dan last week and his dad jokes of radically three people. Uh, <laughs> as we live on mission this summer, we have the opportunity to go beyond our local community in Bloomingdale. As a team, the BC Youth Group will serve and share the good news of Jesus around us through both word and deed. We are looking forward to seeing all that God will do during our time together. The BC Youth on Mission trip Saturday, June 5th to Tuesday, June 8th. Early word registration is $100 through May 1st, so that's over. I think it got extended to the 27th. Terrific. For more information and to register, visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash onmission2021. This Sunday, we in the United States are celebrating Mother's Day. Mother's Day is actually an international holiday. Uh, 93 countries are going to be celebrating on on Sunday, as well as South Korea on Saturday. What's the smallest country celebrating on Sunday? I'll get to that. Okay. You better. In a (laughs) Smallest geographically or by population? Either one. Or by stature? <laughs> least important. <laughs> least. <laughs> shortest, God, fewest letters. Least important country is. I, so I will look mothers. it up. In a second. El Salvador, Guatemala, and Mexico are celebrating this Monday to buy me time to look up whatever Scott asked me to look up. Bill, you have a very special part of the service this weekend set up, right? Yes. I'm looking forward to this service. I always thought it was bizarre that pastors, who were almost always men, would get up and preach about motherhood on Mother's Day. You think, all right. So we're having four esteemed women from our church who are mothers speaking, and they're integrating their mother, their motherhood, and a mother from the Bible. So... One of the ones I'm looking forward to is Lexi Brocker is going to be speaking about those subjects, and her mother from the Bible is Ruth. And Lisa Nikki Magan is going to be speaking, and her mother is Elizabeth. And Judy Malachi is going to speak about the mother Mary. Okay. And Donna Freeman is going to speak. Yeah. And she's speaking about Hannah. It's, I'm really looking forward to this. I got to read Donna's today, and it's terrific. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. The, uh, as a quick aside, I don't know how to work this in naturally. <laughs> I, can't guarantee, you? I can't guarantee this is the smallest country uh, that's celebrating Mother's Day on Sunday, but St. Kitts and Nevis, uh, officially known as the Federation of St. Christopher and Navis. Uh, is an island country in the West Indies located in Leeward Island's chain of the Lesser Antilles. It's the smallest sovereign state in the Western Hemisphere in both area and population. Nice. And they're celebrating Mother's Day on Sunday. How how big is it? It's, um, I have the national anthem here I can play. Yeah, let's Um, do (laughs) Why not? Stand by. It's 94.6% Christian. Hey. 1.5% Hindu. Let's visit. Let's We're taking a podcast road trip. Uh, By area, it is 101 square miles. By population, it is 52,441. Wow. Yeah. 
So that means if it were a perfect square, it'd be like 10 miles wide and 10 miles long, That's right. right? That's right. That's crazy. I know. That's so small. It's so small. <laughs> Bill ran yeah. that far today. Well, yesterday. <laughs> today was a cross-training day. <laughs> uh, Scott, you're talking about Hannah tonight at the Young Adults Group, right? I am. Did you see my email? I did. I read Hooray. it too. Someone looked at my email. <laughs> who can you explain Hannah who she is as a as a biblical figure? Hannah is Samuel's mom. Okay. And what are you talking about tonight? Largely prayer, actually. Okay. Yeah. I I knew I wanted to focus on on a mother in scripture because that's because for those of you who don't know or if you forgot, because I'm pretty sure we probably mentioned this months ago when we were plugging the young adults group all the time. We do like a companion Bible study with what's happening in the service that weekend. So each week, this was much easier in like Lent because we were just going through specific passages. Now we're going through like characters. So it's a little bit more complicated, but Mm. um, this weekend we're kind of taking a a hiatus from the King series for Mother's Day. Um, So I had to figure out something else. So I wanted to do something that was related to a biblical mother. And I thought Hannah was a good one because I feel like compared to Elizabeth and Sarah and Mary and Ruth, like she's not as well known. Yeah. Um, so I thought it'd be an interesting kind of different take. And um, so then I was just reading it earlier today with Leah and, and uh, something that really stuck out to me was um, the, the general story. If you're unfamiliar, it's in first Samuel one. And basically there's this man whose name I don't remember. And he has two wives and one of them is Hannah and the other one is Penina. Uh, and Penina has a bunch of kids, and Hannah has no kids, um, but the husband loves Hannah more, and every year they go to, uh, I forget exactly where it is, but it's the place where Eli the priest is, um, and um, they offer sacrifices, and and the husband shows his love to Hannah by giving her a double portion of the meat, but Penina, who the Bible describes as Hannah's rival, like mocks her and basically brings her to tears because she doesn't have any kids. And so this goes on for years and years, apparently, and then she prays to God, if you will give me a son, I will uh, dedicate him to you. And then she does have a son, and it's Samuel, and Samuel becomes like the last judge um, before mm. the kings are established. Um, and so that that prayer I found very interesting, uh, you know, this kind of like, it almost seems like she's making a deal with God. Right. Um, and that's an interesting concept. And so that's kind of what we're exploring is like, did she change God's mind? Mm. Did her offering her son lead to her having a son um yeah if she didn't change like can we change god's mind with prayer Mm. Uh, if not why do we pray Uh, so we're going to be getting into stuff like that tonight cool can you give us a preview on the answer to even one of those questions uh i mean my answer and i could be wrong but my answer is we can't change god's minds by god's mind we cannot change god's mind through prayer um, because God is immutable, right. he doesn't change, and he's also outside of time, and he's omniscient. So God, in my understanding, just sees everything as it is. Everything that's going to happen kind of is laid before him. Um, so I, I think there's something else going on than like than us changing God's mind, because God knows we're going to pray that, mm. and he knows what's going to happen after we pray that. Yeah. So I think prayer maybe is more... Uh, an act of submission and love yeah. um, going to God and, and telling him, I mean, in telling someone and asking them for something, you're kind of, you're putting yourself out there and you're also like submitting to their ability to give it to you yeah. or not. Um, and if you're not, right, if you're asking for it, but you still believe that you could do it yourself, then that's a disingenuous prayer. Right. right? 
for sure. So but if you don't pray at all, yeah. If she didn't pray at all, she probably wouldn't have had a son. Right. So prayer is really worth doing. Yeah. Even you don't want to cop out and just say, "Well, God's going to do what He wants to do anyway," right. because mm-hmm. then, then that just cuts the legs out from under prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's 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 complicated. Not to um, mention, uh, like we can't change God, but prayer can change us, right? Right. And that question of like, who do I need to be to be the mother of this child? Right. Right. Do I need to be mm-hmm. someone who is going to pray about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it's. I mean, Samuel played such a huge role in the history of Israel. Yeah. I, I believe that God probably was planning on him coming along. And what's interesting is that we see in, in the passage, it says like for years and years or something like that, this happened. And then once when they had finished eating. So my understanding, you know, just kind of from reading that passage is that for a long time, she really wanted a son, but it took her years and years before mm-hmm. she actually brought it to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then God answered her prayer. And I think that, that that time, you know, it seems like there was like a, a, there was a transformation there in her yeah. until she came to the point of realizing like, this is something that I need to bring to God and I need to submit it to him. Mm. Uh, and that submission maybe is evidence in her dedication of Samuel yeah. before he exists. Um, you know, that she's saying like, this isn't, there's nothing I can do. This yeah. is going to come from you, God. Yeah. So I'm bringing it to you. Yeah. Um, and my son belongs to you, whether he exists or not. True. So yeah, there's there's a lot a lot to it. So that's kind of like where I I think I stand. Um, sure. I mean, it's clear that we're supposed to pray, and so we do. <laughs> <laughs> and and God says, I mean, a lot of times He says. In Psalm 37, I think it is, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that tonight. Yeah. Um, and also, like, you know, Jesus says, whatever you're asking, my name will be given to you. So, like, prayer works. Right. How it works, like, I don't know. Do I know how God works? No. Mm. How unsearchable are his ways? <laughs> so, like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to just kind of talk through that and and not necessarily try and come to, like, a definitive answer, but just get a better understanding of of the role of prayer in our lives, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I like it that she prayed so fervently and vehemently that the priest Eli thought she was drunk. Mm. Yeah. I mean, she must have been really kind of like rocking back and forth, maybe weeping. Mm-hmm. She really must have been a spectacle for him to accuse her of being drunk. Sure. But I think God's honored by our being so caught up in the request that we set aside our inhibitions and just mm. let it rip. Yeah. We let it rip for sports. I just am <laughs> always bothered that we don't let it rip for God to praise him or to mm. pray. It just yeah. seems like this is so wrong. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like you need, you need skin in the game yeah. for it to really like mm-hmm. impact you emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where that transformation comes in, right? Yeah. The full acceptance of, yeah, of <clears throat> as that passage says, you know, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But we've talked about before on the show this idea that you know, if your will is aligned with God, then what you pray for, you will receive. And if right. if your will is not aligned with God, like, how can you even pray for what God wants? Right. Right. I think something that I'm hoping that the young adults pick up on. Um, so 
Josh and Eric, if you can listen to this later <laughs> after we had this conversation, I hope you'll you know. learned a lesson. I hope you picked up on this. Um, <laughs> is that the beginning of that verse of Psalm 37 is take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires yeah. of your heart. If yeah. you're delighting in something, probably the desire of your heart is that something. Is that thing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Which is a little sneaky, but it's also very true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and considering that God is the one from whom all good things come. Yeah. Right. Desiring yeah. him rather than the things he can give then you'll always get what you want because he's always there to give you more right. of himself. And it's like, he wants to give you the things that he wants you to have. That's right. <laughs> um, and he wants you to have, you know, the fruits of the spirit and he wants you to have wisdom. Mm -hmm. You know, James mm -hmm. one talks about that. And mm -hmm. so yeah. I think, you know, it also kind of makes me think of uh, in Bruce Almighty. Um, <laughs> great movie. An apocryphal movie. Great theological sure. <laughs> movie. When he's trying to deal with the prayer requests Holy and God. he just like says yes to all of them. Uh -huh. And I love like, like I'm sure there's lots of examples, like lots of things that happen because of that. But the one that I remember is that everyone wins the lottery uh -huh. and they all get like a dollar because everyone <laughs> won the lottery. Um, and so it's like God's answering of our prayer is like, there's so much more than just, you know, when we, like you were saying, if we pray outside of God's will, like it's God's will really for me to win the lottery. Like, well, I mean, maybe, but like, mm -hmm. there seems like there's a lot of more important things yeah. um, for him to be working on in my life than just giving me money. And of course there are millions of people that would like to win the lottery. So That's right. um, yeah. Perfect. I know Bill, you said it's kind of weird for pastors to get up there and talk about moms and you know, male pastors to get up there and be like, let's talk about how important moms are. Um, but really quick, I mean, how is well? Going? And giving tips for mothers too. Right, that, exactly. That's what was going on when I was a kid. Going, <laughs> this is how you can be a better mother. And like, <laughs> walk a mile in her shoes first. So let's <laughs> let's dodge giving mom tips and let's go straight into um, moms. Uh, it doesn't even have to be your mother necessarily, but moms and and you guys. Like, how has God worked through mothers in your life? Well, one thing I will admire about my mother till the day I die is when I was in first grade learning how to read, teacher set up a library and you would take a book home and when you finished it, you brought it back. Our television set was broken. <laughs> so the family would eat dinner and then I'd have my book and my mom would sit down on the couch next to me and we would read the whole thing through mm. in one evening. Mm. The reason why I admire so much for that is my mother can read 3,000 words a minute. Whoa. So here she's sitting with this little kid who's stumbling over and and the, <laughs> trying to learn how to read because mm. it's first grade. Yeah. And we didn't learn how to read in kindergarten in those days. Yeah. Whoa. And every evening, and and my dad was smart. He said, yeah, we're not fixing this TV because he's really learning how to read. And we get this TV back, and mm. this will go out the window. Yeah. So we went months without this TV. I, I remember I read 56 books in 56 days. <laughs> and my mom said she just loved doing that. Yeah. that she just loved it. Huh. So only a mother would love that because... <laughs> Whew, that's tedious. Yeah. That's really tedious. Yeah. But that, that inculcated a love for reading in me. Yeah. That I became mm -hmm. a lot like my mom in that way, that she's cranking out. 
great big thick novel. She'd, she'd have one of those in her lap while she's waiting for me to get done at the dentist. And she'd have half of this, say, 450-page novel done in, say, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. It's just, she could read almost as fast as she could turn the pages. Wow. That's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. Did she practice that? No, it was she's just a natural. She's the kind of person they study to see how can we all read faster. And, and the number one lesson I learned was all of us, meaning all of us who are not reading 3,000 words a minute, <laughs> our eyes keep going back. We don't trust that we've really caught that word, and we, we keep going back, going back, going back with our eyes. And people like my mom, they don't go back. They're hmm. always moving forward. There's way more to it than that, but that's a big deal. You can't win a race if you're going to always retrace your steps. And so in a speed reading class I took, you follow your finger and you just don't let your eyes go back and you trust that your brain's taking it in. And it, and it is. It's hmm. like magic. It really is. Wow. But I can't read 3,000 words a minute. Sure. That's always my issue when I'm trying to read things as I go back and I like reread because I want to make sure I like really mm -hmm. comprehend. But there are these things you've probably seen in Max. I, I programs, I guess, is what you would describe them as. And they basically just like they just show a word at you know one word at a time. Yep. But it's like you know how <clears throat> however many words a second. You know, it's just like one word. You just look at the screen and it just like you know like the dog ran up the hill and you just look at it. And as long as you don't blink, <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. You can really increase your reading comprehension speed yeah. um, because you can't go back. In, in, it's a little uh, stressful. In college, I you know, those are it's free. You can you know basically feed it whatever you want. In, in college, uh, for Christian thought, that was how I read most of our articles, and I read a C.S. Lewis biography that way as well. It was just just shows you one word at a time, and you just stare at the center of the screen. And you just read the word that appears, and it's just flying by. But yeah, no. So you could put your own book in that machine. Mm -hmm. Yep. You just feed it whatever. Uh -huh. I mean, it has to be so. It was like a PDF. I could copy the the text and put it in. And I had a PDF copy of the of the C.S. Lewis book. Um, but yeah, it was amazing. It was the fastest I've ever read. That's for sure. It was yeah. exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> so in the old days, before there were computers, <laughs> computers and PDFs, or indeed electricity, <laughs> they, they literally had machines. I, I took four different speed reading courses. Oh. Here's one that didn't work. You sit at the desk, and there's a machine, and the light, uh, just a thin light that covers a sentence or two, yeah. comes down page of the book oh and you have to keep up <laughs> and you can keep speeding it up speeding up, and so you're speeding up your your rate of reading that's kind of genius so it sounds like oh this is great this is... the problem with it is as soon as you're back in the real world and you've got the book uh -huh. and the whole room is lit you're just reverting back to your old ways you yeah. don't have that light moving for you yeah so it didn't really work to do that. I mean, yeah, doing doing what I did in college didn't help me read faster normally. Yeah. That sounds like it would just wake me up at 3 a.m. with an anxiety attack. <laughs> <laughs> trying you, to read. And you blame me. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, did wonder, who is waking you up at 3 a.m. with an anxiety attack? Someone's coming knocking on your door. Hi. <laughs> uh, let's get into the topic of the week. Topic of the week this week is brought to you once again by the Families Group. Have you ever wondered how to put the Bible into practice as a family? Have you, Bill? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty self-evident. Or maybe... 
<laughs> Sorry, Dan. <laughs> Wherever you are, I hope you're listening. <laughs> Have you often asked yourself, what does God expect from me as a parent, Scott? <laughs> Oh, every day. <laughs> the book of James is very practical and pulls no punches on how we're supposed to live and act as followers of Jesus. We will be watching short videos and participating in discussions on this short but incredibly meaningful book of the Bible. As usual, there will be jokes, quizzes, memes, random prizes, and more. The Families Group Sundays from 9 to 10 a.m. in the Common Grounds. For more information, find Dan Marcello. Well, I'm there this week. You're there? Yeah, Ray Anderson and I are the teachers this week. What are you going to teach? On overcoming temptation. Cool. Man, Rainers and Bill Callen, best yeah. parents ever. <laughs> just, How many kids together. have you two raised together? <laughs> uh, like 42 or something. <laughs> Ray has lots of kids. <laughs> yeah, I've got my two. I've only got two. He's got 40. Yeah. Uh, for the topic of the week this week, we're talking about music. Music uh, has seemingly been a core part of our faith uh, always. Uh, the first song shows up as early as Exodus 15. Uh, and there's plenty of poetry uh, in the Bible before that. Uh, and seemingly, uh, music is is a core part of all human societies, um, or at least uh, many, many human societies, almost all. Uh, so, you know, let's start off in talking about music. I want to talk about, um, uh, I've got a, a broad range of things I want to talk about, and uh, it's already uh, two minutes over when we're supposed to stop. So we'll see how this goes. Um, but uh, Bill... I wanted to ask you uh, just to kind of kick us off talking about songs that, you know, uh, and we'll get into this definition as well. Cause the last time we talked about music, we talked about like uh, art and like the difference between like secular art and like, is there such a thing Mm -hmm. and and whatever bringing music that brings glory to God in an explicit fashion. I I think I'm almost safe Mm -hmm. in, uh, in defining it as that. Um, over the years, whether that's worship music or music that is intended from a from a Christian perspective, right? Uh, Bill, do you have favorite songs from over the years? Oh yeah, like what? Well, the entirety of Handel's Messiah. Okay, bringing glory to God. It's so moving. And sometimes I remember being at Moody when they were doing Handel's Messiah with their choir, and tears are just streaming down my face. It. It's powerful, mm. man. I'm sure we're going to be using that one in heaven. <laughs> it's, <laughs> so that that's my all time all time favorite. Sure, um, I've got others I like, like and it, inevitably they they become it's hymns mm. because I guess the choruses are just too short. Mm. <clears throat> so. I can think of one Negro spiritual, though, that really is a standout song for me. It's called I'll Fly Away. Okay. It's really about heaven. One glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. I just love that song. Um, Is that a spiritual? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. So those are two that come to my mind. For sure. I'm I'm sure Scott's got a catalog of a thousand. (laughs) (laughs) Scott, favorite songs? Oh, man. I think it, well, there are definitely songs that like... Actually, before, before you answer that, Bill, any, any favorite songs that have cropped up in like the last 10 years? Any songs that like have yes. come out in the last 10 years? That like, one, I think it's, I, I'm not sure I have the title right, 10,000 Reasons. Reasons. Yeah. What a great theological message. Hmm. I, I don't particularly care for the tune, sure. But the message is just so powerful that it carries the tune. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Sweet. Sorry. Go ahead, Scott. No, no worries. 
Um, so something that's interesting about me is that, like, I've noticed, I've learned this about myself in relation to other people as I've gotten older, um, that, like, certain people, and Max, you're one of these people, I think, um, like, really, when they listen to music, just, like, intrinsically soak in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And that's not me. Like, I'm all about the music itself. Mm. Um, and so, like, music is in is what what really grabs me, uh, mm. usually. Yeah. Um, that being said, um, it is very important to me that the worship songs that I listen to um, are true. Yeah. Uh, and the lyrics are good. I mean, one of my all-time favorites is Great Is Thy Faithfulness. Oh, yeah. I love that one. Uh, and there are a lot of hymns that I really love. Um, Why Great Is Thy Faithfulness? I think the the melody is beautiful. The lyrics are just really, really powerful. And um, they encompass like a, a really cool range of things, I think. And also it's, it's, it's one of those songs that like, when you sing the chorus as you will with a song that you've been listening to, you know, when it just kind of springs to your mind, like it, it's like a good it's like a good foundation for you to, to have, like, you know, when you go through a challenging time, um, or when you face something that's difficult, uh, I think that oftentimes if you're a Christian, you know, worship songs and worship lyrics are going to kind of come to mind. And I think, you know, saying you know, great is thy or your faithfulness, uh, is just like one of the best things that you can have come to your mind when yeah. you're going through something challenging. Um, just rem- remembering, you know, that God is faithful. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, that's a really good one. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, then there's, there are a ton of other ones. I really loved, and I still do, um, Enough by Elias Dummer or Doomer. I still don't know how you pronounce it, even after all these years. Um, so, well, the, the first line of the chorus is, Jesus, you're, you're enough. enough. Jesus, you're, you're enough, enough for, for me. me. With nothing, I still have everything. Cool. Um, yeah, that one really, I mean, that that's a, a good example of like the music just really hit me. There's this harmony that, that unfortunately no one has ever sung in our service. <laughs> Probably, I'm trying my hardest. <laughs> but it's like, it's over top of the, I still have everything. Um, and so the, the melody goes like, with nothing, I still have everything. And the chorus go, or the harmony goes, I still have everything. And Elias is singing the melody and this, I don't know, this woman is singing the harmony. Just, uh, I love it. Hmm. Um, this is your chance listeners. <laughs> yeah. Learn your part. <laughs> Learn your part. Come in and sing it with me. Um, so I love that one. I mean, I love, I've got a, a small, collection. I actually went when explored some more of his stuff and I didn't like it as much as the stuff that I have, but I've got maybe 20 or so songs by Bebo Norman, mm-hmm. which is mm. phenomenal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've bragged, not bragged about, but like talked about, bragged on, whatever. Michael Carr's Christmas album a million times. Um, <laughs> that's so good. Um, what else? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of good stuff. I feel yeah. like there's something that, whatever. So we've touched on this a little bit, but you know, what makes, especially to you, Scott, cause I'm certainly a lyrics person. That's mm-hmm. the thing I hear, right? I, I appreciate the beat and I appreciate, especially appreciate drums quite a bit. 
Um, and maybe my second or third listen, I'm like hearing harmonies and things like that. But for me, it's almost always the lyrics first um, with any song. Uh, and, and that can be quite depressing sometimes um, <laughs> or very boring, uh, depending on, on the song. And so from your perspective, right, a musical perspective, but also from a lyrics perspective, and I don't know where you land in that camp, Bill, I imagine more in a lyrics uh, uh, persuasion. You know, what makes a good worship song? What makes a great mm-hmm. worship song? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Actually, because of, and I think this is true for a lot of people, um, even if you are like a lyrics-oriented person, the power of music is so mm-hmm. intense that like you can listen to something and be like, oh, wow, that really moved me. And then like, <laughs> like I lyrics, hate what it was about. <laughs> the lyrics are like hot garbage. Yeah. So I, when I'm examining new songs that I am finding, like, and I, unless someone like played it for me, of course, but like if I'm looking at new songs, I always read the lyrics first mm. before I listen to it because I'm not interested in being moved by something that's untrue mm. um, and missing the fact that it's untrue. So what makes a great worship song um, needs to be true. It just, it just does. And yeah. there, there are songs that, uh, I mean, this is one that like, this is kind of like my, my little soapbox because it's just one of those perfect examples. Um, we're actually singing it this weekend and that's reckless love. And I mentioned this in the service a couple of times in the past. We don't sing the word reckless love because mm-hmm. it's just, it's not true. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Corey Asbury. I've read your explanation and you're wrong. Stop sending us your emails, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> We're not changing. <laughs> We're not interested in what you have to say. <laughs> no, I mean, he goes into this length and it's so great. It's like, oh yeah, that's so true of God's love, but it's not the word reckless. Right. The definition of the word reckless has nothing to do with what Corey Asbury is saying. Right. Uh, it's because I think we've we've got this idea in our kind of cultural psyche that when you say like, oh, that was a really reckless thing to do, what what we kind of think that that means is, oh, that was a really, like, like you really could have been hurt doing that. Mm. But what it actually means is you didn't think that through. Right. And yeah, you could have been hurt by, you know, as a result. And you God, could have hurt others. Yeah. 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 Like it, but it has nothing to do with the consequences and whether or not you could have been hurt. Yeah. Um, it has every, like, you know, it, it, whatever. Uh, it has everything to do with the thought that you put into it. Mm. A synonym of reckless is thoughtless and careless. So you would never say, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, thoughtless love of God. Like, obviously <laughs> not. But that's what you're saying when you say reckless. Right. And so just replace it with the word that Corey actually meant, which was selfless. Mm-hmm. That's, that's when you read what he's saying, yeah. that's God knew what he was doing. He thought it through. Right. It was not reckless. God knew what God was doing, not God <clears throat> yeah. knew what Corey was doing. I mean, he did. And... Yeah. And he still did it anyway because he is selfless, right. not reckless, right. selfless. So it has to be true. It yeah. just does. And I'm sorry, if you're saying things that aren't true, you're just ingraining untruths into your spirit. Mm-hmm. And especially in the context of church, like you can do that on your own. You can choose to understand a word in a certain way. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have no problem with you individually singing reckless love and imagining what you want that word to mean. Yeah. But in a corporate setting, like we just cannot sing it that way because there are people that are not going to imagine it incorrectly. For sure. They're going to imagine it as it actually means. Right. Um, so the songs have to be true. That's like the most important thing. Yeah. Um, underneath that, uh, just slightly underneath that, is they need to like glorify God. Um, they, they, we need to minimize, I've been reading this book. It's really good <clears throat> um, about worship and, and he he refers to it as like triumphalism. We need to minimize like our our role, yeah. Uh, you know all the things that we're going to do, and and that, that you know we're you know whatever. I you know I dedicate my life to you. Like I I oh man, there's this one song. 
that's on the radio right now. I think it's called Promises, and it's just like, let me look it up so I can give you an example of, of how pervasive this is. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, you can probably tell I'm passionate about this because yeah. it's a real problem. Yeah. Um, and there are lots of really good songs out there right now, but there are also a lot of songs. There it is. Um, that are about me as the here it is singer. Um, here's the lyrics of the song Promise, the pre-chorus. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. I, the speaker, will remain right. steadfast. And it's like, I don't care about you, and I don't care about me. And it's such an easy fix. You'll remain steadfast. <laughs> like, come on, people. It's about God. It's mm-hmm. not about you and what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. So that's another super important thing. Sure. Um, Bill? What? Yeah, I remember easily 15 years ago reading an article in Christianity Today about how Christian music has become so personalized hmm. You keep finding the word me over and over and over again, and it really does detract from the message. Sure. Because it's just another form of selfishness. Hmm. So we're worshiping ourselves when we think we're having a worship service, and then we wonder why God didn't show up. Hmm. So I I appreciate what Scott's doing. Yeah. I'm glad you just said, let's change this word it still fits right into the song. <clears throat> it's more accurate. Let's yeah. go with that. What's the YouTube channel that you talk about sometimes? Uh, Mike Winger. Mike Winger. Mm-hmm. Is he is he worth checking out? I know his most of his videos are like hours long, but yeah. he does a good one. He with that is song, really worth. Right? Yeah. So actually, and and this is the thing is like, you know, I know I'm I'm speaking very strongly because I care a lot about it and I care about your spiritual health through worship, listeners. Because that's your job. Because uh, that's my job. But like I don't do this perfectly, and like there are definitely songs like when I like I look back, I'm like, ah, yeah, I, that's probably not the best song to sing, and and so we'll sing songs in the services, you know, and we have, and we probably will again that that aren't exactly right, and if you hear that, let me know, mm-hmm. and we can talk about it because I I'm not going to notice everything, um, but like we sang Reckless Love at least one time, possibly more than one time, back in the day before I changed it to Selfless Love, and um, I read I heard Corey's thing and i was like okay that's cool uh that makes sense i heard his heart and that's that's the thing is like i, I think a lot of these songwriters they they've got good hearts and they, you can hear what they're trying to say mm-hmm. especially um, in the rest of the song yeah um but we can't let we can't let just random talented musicians be our theologians mm-hmm. um because they they do say things incorrectly and and they say things that you know are actually really damaging if you internalize it. Sure. But anyway, so I, I found this video. I forget <laughs> how, um, but it was a Mike Winger video. It was the first one I ever saw of his, and he was talking about reckless love. And I went in fully prepared to be like, well, I you know I disagree with you. I I know these things about what he meant, and and he just like walked through the song. He read what Corey's statement about it. He talked about the definition of the word reckless, and I, by the end of it, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Like he's so right. Um, and he's he's a very thoughtful Christian YouTuber. He does a lot of stuff on apologetics and Bible study. And, and his videos are usually about an hour long. Um, but I, there's, I've watched a, a good amount of him, and I've only ever like found one or two things that I was like, I don't know if I agree with that. But mm-hmm. almost everything is like, wow, that's mm-hmm. really interesting, really biblical, um, and, and just great. So, yeah. yeah. And he's got videos. He's got a ton of videos. Um, so if you're ever looking for answers on tricky things, like he's definitely a great resource. Now let's, let's move laterally, laterally a little bit 
Um, cause you mentioned sort of this on your own time kind of thing, right? Obviously sure. like within the domain, and this is something that got brought up on the, the, the Thursday night worship stream and things like that of, um, you know, there's, there's worship music that is very explicitly aimed at God. And there's, you know, also, you know, autobiographical and narrative music, um, that is meant, you know, <laughs> the thing that I've been listening to lately is the, the album mm-hmm, by Reliant K and a lot mm-hmm. of those songs are autobiographical, um, or narrative, and they're not uh, specifically about God. They're about uh, a person's development of faith, right? And, and yeah. sort of the faith journey. And so those those songs don't necessarily have a place in a worship service because we're not here to sing someone else's story. We're here to worship God. That's the worship piece. So when it comes to to music, uh, sort of in our personal lives, and, and you talked about this of, of not, um, you said I'm not interested in in being moved by something that isn't true. And without getting into, into, again, it's a hot word, but like secular music yet, talking about Christian music in our own lives, right? The Christian music that we engage with. Um, talk a little bit about how, how that's different. How, how you know, wh- where's the room for uh, uh, music that, that's testimony, right? Or music that is, sure. you know, honest about, about, my personal feelings, right? Expressing those and and people being able to relate to them as well. Sure. I think worship is glorifying God. Um, It's not music. It's not singing. Hmm. That's one of the ways we glorify God is by singing. Um, And so I think there are a million different ways that you can worship. You can worship God when you're raking your lawn. I don't know how, but <laughs> if you if you can glorify God in your heart while you're doing that, then then you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that there are plenty of ways that you individually can worship God through songs that aren't explicitly like, you know, like praising God's name. Um, and I think that you know that there's there's lots of different uses for Christian songs of a variety of types, um, and it's the the difference I think comes in like in the corporate setting, you know, the corporate worship is different from personal worship um, in that, like, we're all doing it together. It's not about your personal experience. Um, So, like, we need to provide as the church, we need to provide a a worship service that is going to allow, like, everyone to enter into it and to worship God. You know, if we sang a bunch of songs, I don't know that these exist, but if we sang a bunch of songs that were like, Lord, thank you for freeing me from my addiction to alcohol, and that was like the whole service. Like everyone who'd never dealt with alcoholism would be like, I can't worship through this. Like mm-hmm. this isn't, you know, like I can appreciate that my brothers and sisters, and I can, <clears throat> I can praise God for what he's done in their lives. But like, but I can't sing this truthfully because it's not my experience. Sure. Um, so like the worship service is a different, a different beast than, yeah. than just kind of personal worship. And it, it has different rules, so to speak. Sure. Sure. Should those rules apply to our own personal lives and our own personal taste in music? I mean, I, I think I think it's really important that we do be discerning about what we're listening to, especially when it's under the guise of Christian music. Because, mm-hmm. like, when you listen to secular music, I mean, this is kind of between you and God. If if He convicts your conscience of what you're listening to, then it's sinful. Mm. Um, but that's <clears throat> again, that's between you and Him. Um, but when we listen to Christian music and we just like, it's really easy to assume like, oh, this is true because it's Christian. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's that's dangerous yeah. if if it's not true. Um, and if you if you're basing your <clears throat> your belief system and your theology on the lyrics of these songs instead of on the scriptures, um, that can become a real problem. Um, so I think that that that's something just that we all need to be aware of. Is we need to like even if you're still listening to it, enjoying it, and kind of like we said a couple of weeks ago, taking the meat and spitting out the bones, like that's okay. You just need to know. You need to know which parts aren't true. Um, I think that's really important. I don't know if we have time to get into this, um, <clears throat> but I'm interested in your perspective on on music taste, right? As a you know, you've been a pastor for. 140 years and counting <laughs> <laughs> and um you know I, you are a lover of many musics as far as i can i can tell um like okay how when it comes to personal music taste and as, as scott's talking about this idea of you know having god convict you of of the content of whatever it is you're listening to you know what does that balance look like for you and also for, you know, just people in general, believers in general. Well, your first question 15 minutes ago was <laughs> what, what comes first, the music or the lyrics? And yeah. typically it is the music mm. for me. I can't even understand the lyrics for the kind of songs I like. Um, <laughs> Intense rap. Well, rock. Right. Uh, rock from the 60s and the 70s. I don't think they wanted anybody to know what they were saying because it was putting the message out there in such a way that the kids would get it, but the government wouldn't because you know, there was a lot of anti-war <laughs> yeah, Vietnam yeah. war songs, but, but it went deeper than that. It was also pro drugs and pro sex and sure. they, they were just coming out with such a radical message. So as a kid and even as an adult, I love the, the tune. Yeah. And even though it's in, in iPod form is right directly in my ear. I still haven't figured out what some of these lyrics are. I don't have no idea what they're saying, mm -hmm. but I still like the song. Yeah. Now my real concern is, can I run to this song? Hmm. Because some songs, they're wonderful, but they're very difficult to run to. Yeah, they're too slow or too. There's just something about like Mariah Carey's Christmas album. I love that, but I can't run to that. <laughs> um, so I like that kind of music. Sure, the, the rock. So let me ask you this: real, when, real admirer of people like Chicago and Led Zeppelin and sure. The grassroots. So when you run to a song that, if there is a song that you run mm -hmm. to that you can understand what they're saying, and it is at least mildly pro-drugs or pro-sex or whatever, what, what's the internal understanding there? And I can give you an yeah. example if you want. All right. Yeah, please do. So, so Barry White. Singer, right. friend of the show. Yes. Um, a lot of his music <laughs> is centered around romance and especially sexuality. Okay. Taken literally to sing along to it is inappropriate for someone who's not married to say the things that he says he wants to do with uh, a lady yeah. uh, is, is inappropriate. Um, but should then 
only married people listen to Barry White. Like where, how do we sort of fit this into, into our lives? Can we fit Barry White, friend of the show, into our lives? <laughs> like how do we interact with music that is, as, as Scott pointed out, distorts the truth? Right. How, how do we, how do we yeah. not be moved by something that isn't true? Or if we are moved by like Tim Keller in every good endeavor says, you know, we're not simply to embrace or reject our culture right? we're to actively critique and engage with it. And if that's mm. true, like, how can we, how can we do that? Yeah. Can I listen? Can I sing along to Barry White or not, Bill? I, I need oh, to I, I'm fine with you singing along to Barry White. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Okay. It's not just music. It's also literature. I'm, I'm big into reading. Yeah. I'm no, reading something that. right now that I say. <laughs> I didn't know you were into reading. This is, this is so awful. So you say, well, why are you reading this? Well, it's called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. I, I, <laughs> I want to know what was going on. Mm -hmm. But it also, it, I think it sharpens my mental acuity to read books like that and listen to music that I disagree with, because then I have to think, why do I disagree? Mm -hmm. There, there yeah. was a Christian speaker many years ago that was very, very popular. Uh, his name is Bill Gothard. Okay. And he put on the Basic Youth Institute. And, and this is hard to fathom, but he would fill up the United Center whatever it was called back in the 60s. He, he would fill it up. There'd be 20,000 people present. Mm -hmm. And what's he got? He's got an overhead projector with transparencies. <laughs> yeah. And you're there for hours at a time. Yeah. I mean, we're talking all day Saturday. Yeah. And you've paid money to be there. I've listened to him talk, and I, I disagree with him all over the place, but mm -hmm. I appreciate Bill Gothard because he makes me think, hmm. uh, and and I really admire him too. Yeah. So don't think I'm anti Bill Gothard, but I I think that's hmm. really what's best in terms of honoring God is to say I don't necessarily I don't agree with this, yeah. but I admire what they were able to do. Hmm. Hmm. Musically, I mean, right now I listen probably more to classical music when it comes to radio music. There's nothing that's even second place for me. It's, right. it's classical because they don't play commercials. Right. Wow. I just have more and more admiration for the classical musician. And I learned last week how little money they make. I had no idea that they, they are basically starving artists, and the only ones that aren't starving, truly starving, are the ones at the very top. They're playing first violin for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. But, but the other guys, they're just making a very modest living, and you think, golly, you're one of the greatest musicians in the whole world, and you're just squeaking by. Wow. Yeah. You got to really believe in it to to live that way, and they do. Mm. So, I, they I get caught up in their passion and listening to them talk. Uh, it's it's just really really impressive. Mm. The other thing I like about WFMT ninety eight point seven on your FM dial is <laughs> they play Christian music. They're not playing contemporary Christian music, but they are playing the classics, yeah. and they'll play Negro spirituals and. They'll, 
they will play fabulous hymns that are done by, say, the Vienna Philharmonic, and you just say, wow, nobody else is doing this. Mm. Their repertoire is just as close to infinite as possible because they'll say, this is from the 1959 recording of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. (laughs) Tell who the conductor was, and you think, oh, my gosh, there's no end to this because they've got, there's, there's something like, 1,200 symphony orchestras just in the United States. Wow. So you, you don't have a bunch of repeats when you're listening to WFMT. It's very rare you hear the same song played by the same orchestra. Hmm. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Sorry for going off, but I, boy, just <laughs> go WFMT. <laughs> Glad you're in town. <laughs> Listeners, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can send questions. What's your address? Trivia quizzes and music you'd like Bill and Scott to weigh in on. Do podcast. That'd be fun. At <laughs> BloomingdaleChurch.org. I would love a segment of just like we play a song and then we just talk about it. Um, to podcast at BloomingdaleChurch.org. Somebody who's listened to every episode of the show asked me last week, is that a real email address? My friends, yes. <laughs> this is a real... People actually send us emails. We answer them on the show. <laughs> Yes, Josh. For our closing segment this week, <laughs> our closing segment this week, Dan is out of town, uh, so we cannot possibly play Ooh. "Where in the Bible Is Carmen Sandiego" without him. So instead, we will be playing a different game. What year is it? Ooh. I have got a handful of songs here of worship songs, and you gentlemen will tell me what year they came out. And wow. the closest right. will get a point. I'm trying to play something a little more in Scott's wheelhouse here. Well, you aren't kidding. Um, but uh, I'll give you a hint. Uh, they range as uh, the most recent. Uh, I can't tell you that. So I guess I'll just say they they range for just about as long as you can imagine. <laughs> Uh, cool. You'll you'll disagree with me on that point when it's over, but that's the well. Yeah, it's the I disagree with you now. <laughs> Let's get started. We're going to start with one that we talked about today: "Reckless Love" by Corey uh, As- Asbury. 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 Um, we're going to play. Unlike normal, we're going to. Uh, there's no uh, accountability, so I'm just going to. You're going to take turns guessing first. Okay. Um, and uh, we're going to start with Bill. Bill, your guess for the year in which Reckless Love came out? Uh, 2017. And Scott? Um, yeah, I was going to say 2017, too. All right, so we'll call that a draw. It's 2018. Hmm. Um, wow. And uh, in order to keep this as fair as possible, you just got to respond as fast as you can. Let's get, uh-huh. let's, uh, moving on. Sometimes by step by Rich Mullins. Oh, oh God, man. you are my God. And I will ever praise you. I'll seek you in the morning. Uh, freaking amazing song. Scott. Uh, complete guess. 87. And Bill. 98. It is 86. Woo! So that one goes Way to, to go, Scott. Scott. Big points for Scott. I got to make a scoreboard here. I completely forgot to do that. Um, all right. This is amazing grace by Phil Wickham. This is Amazing Grace. Okay. 2007. 2007? Scott. 2011. It is 2013. Ooh, so we'll Scott's Scott. all over this. He's flying away with it now. Uh, there's many, uh, so you have plenty of time to catch up. <laughs> How Great Is Our God by Chris Tomlin, a song that I still cannot listen to because I heard it so many weeks in a row growing up. <laughs> so many days in a row growing up in the car. Um, How Great. 
That's his most. That's the most I'm going to sing of it without losing my mind. Uh, Scott, uh, 2004. Bill, 1990. <laughs> it's 2004. Wow, <laughs> All right. Bill, that's not even close. <laughs> 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 that's 1990. I thought I was singing that in the 90s. <laughs> Maybe I was. Maybe you're he he plagiarized time. me. <laughs> he plagiarizes everyone else. Ah, I get it, Chris. Uh, that's I forgot about our ongoing feud with Chris Tomlin. That's not his fault. It's not. But we've replaced him with Barry White, friend of the show. Uh, Blessed Be Your Name by Matt Redman. Blessed be your name. Right. That's, that's how I'm going to give you time to think, because I'm going to sing one line from it. Uh, sure. Bill. Uh, I'll say 1995. And uh, Scott? 2006. It's 2002. Oh, so wow. another point to Scott. Bill, under the impression that every song ever made is from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> shine, Jesus, shine. Shine, oh, Jesus, shine. Uh, I love this song. Uh, by Maranatha Praise Band. It's Maranatha, exclamation point, right. Praise Band. Scott? Uh, 93. <laughs> and Bill? <laughs> Well, now you got me shying away from the 90s. I'll say 89. It's 93. All right. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Bill. I've led you astray. Bill, you can win one of these. I'm good at something. You can win one of these. I know you can. I think it's amazing you're hitting them right on the He's nose. He's hit a number of them. Uh, Better is One Day in Your Courts by Matt Redman. Uh, I didn't realize he wrote this one as well. He wrote this and he wrote so. Blessed Be Your Name. It's crazy. Uh, Bill. Um. 1998 and Scott. Uh, 2000. It's 1995. Hey. Big Bill points. was closer, and that wow. was the money. Matt Redman's that's, been around that's for a ten long points time. for Bill. <laughs> Matt Redman's been writing songs since the Earth cooled. Uh, to be, <laughs> <laughs> to God be the glory by Fanny Crosby. Ooh. To God be the glory, great things He has done. Dang! If you want to hear more of that song. Literally one more line of it. You can listen to two episodes ago. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to start with Scott because Bill was there. Gosh. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, Close. <laughs> I told you. 60. 1960? Yep. Okay. And uh, uh, Well, I, I was there the Sunday she sang this for the first time at our church. Yeah. Lawndale Alliance Church. Now Fanny Crosby. <laughs> she was blind, you know. Fanny Crosby was. Yeah. She what? She was blind. This is a, no, no, sorry. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed that you heard this I, for the first time. I think Fanny Crosby, I, th I, I believe it was 1881. It was 1875. Okay. Oh. So that was my first choice. Okay. Uh, yeah, he was doing a joke. He was doing, he was doing a funny. He was doing a Okay. And no, it, was it really, really was 1875. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. I didn't, was she really blind? Oh, yes. Wow. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. She wrote 6,000 songs. Really, what she wrote what was 6,000 poems. Somebody else would write the music. <laughs> That's, oh, okay. okay. Uh, let's do There is a Redeemer by Keith Green. Oh. I didn't know Keith Green wrote this song. I figured it was a hymn. It's not. Hmm. I mean, you know, the definition of hymn varies wildly. But when I think of a hymn, I think of a song written before 1958. Yeah. In this That's sort of not it. hymnal style. <laughs> I understand that. I'm sorry. I understand. But when you look at a, a book of hymns, they all look like they're from 1875. They are. They, well. See? See? They're not. <laughs> I mean, it, was, I mean it, it does look like that, especially in an Alliance hymn book. Bill said it. Because it's, it's gospel. It's kind of, it's like gospel 
style. It's not. Huh. We were just big into revivalism music, and that's why so many of our songs are from the 1880s. Cool. So, uh, Bill, when is There is a Redeemer from? Like I'm guessing Green. like 1975. Okay. And Scott? 82. It is from 82. Oh, you, cause, so we're singing that this week. Yeah, I remember. So that's, yeah, ah. same with Reckless Love, but uh, well played. And then um, finally, uh, Amazing Grace. Um, Gosh. Scotty. Is that, is that the 1600s? I'll just <laughs> rough it. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> Thank goodness for editing. And I guess I'm taking that. 1650. If Bill says I have to take it out, I'll take it out. I'm sorry, what could you say to I said 1650. 1650. Listeners, if there's a jump cut there, it's because Scott, he didn't swear, but he accidentally said something very bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I said that. It just popped out of his mouth. I think I was like, and it was like between estimate and like, or like because I meant like rough it because I was thinking 1600s but I don't know where so yeah. I was just like I'll just put it in the middle yeah no, it's not the 1600s come up to Scott it's, it's in the 1800s again. it's in the 1800s I'm sorry yeah, so you said like, 16 what I said 1650 1650 okay and Bill I, I'll I'll be within 25 years probably 1850 1850 so I'm gonna have to do some math oh no I'm not I can just look because there's 200 years between you two it is 1779 oh. so it goes to bill bill made it a was further back than i realized bill made it a game uh he ends up taking three points and scott takes five um <laughs> scott took 25 and bill took two. <laughs> uh so well done to bill he is our big winner uh <laughs> Congratulations, Scott. In lieu of jelly beans, we have Reese's Pieces. This week brought to you by E.T., the extraterrestrial, in theaters uh, tomorrow. (laughs) Scott, uh, as our winner, oh, I'm sorry, that is all the time that we have this week. (laughs) Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Thank you, Max. Scott, you are uh, our winner, and uh, it's Dan's turn, but he's gone, so will you take us home? Yeah. I'm gonna see if I can do a Dan impression. Oh, I, please! I, realize I don't have any. Bill, can you do a Dan impression? I don't have any no, clue. it's like can either. It's definitely it's higher. It's got like a than my normal speaking voice. Right. It's got like a little bit of like a rasp to it. Man, I'm sure he really appreciates this description so far. Oh, I mean, how do you describe someone's voice? Hmm. Um, I don't think I can. I think Dan's is like a is like a caramel latte. That's how I describe Dan's voice. All right. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> You've been listening to a really bizarre episode of the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. Okay, let me try. I'm going to try to be Dan. Okay. You have been listening to... The Bloomingdale Church Podcast, brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. That's pretty yeah, good too. The, the heart of the nation was the like, heart of the nation was really because he really like almost good. whispers it. He's like the heart of the nation. Yeah, yeah. The heart of the nation was, I'd say, spot on. Yeah, I wish I could do imitations. I would think that would just make preaching so exciting. If you had a guy doing imitations through the sermon, they're doing Jim Carrey. <laughs> just anybody. Yeah. Can you do accents at all? Hello, Mrs. Cullen. <laughs> What? <laughs> what did you even say? 
<laughs> this was a routine I would do with Nancy. I'd call her up at work. I'd say, hello, Mrs. Calvin. I'm out here in the parking lot. I have 100 gross of jelly donuts, and I need to come into your building and be able to sell these things because they're going to get stale. Please let me in. Please let me in. I have, I have a wife and children to feed. <laughs> so she's... <laughs> She's picking this up at work, and the secretary at church, Carol Moore, is listening to this in the next room. <laughs> just laughing, it's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Whoa. Jelly donuts.